MoneyWeb now on the money. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. I'm chatting with Narina Fissa. She, of course, ETFSA. Narina, appreciate the time today. Looking back at the year of ETFs, I've got to say, I've been a passive fan forever and a day, but this was an astounding year. I think, <laughs> I think you know, ETFs that doing more than 20% is probably close on 30. The winner on the JSC is the one invest S&P 500 Infotech, 72%. Satrix Nasdaq, yeah, yeah. 66%. These are crazy numbers. Yeah. <laughs> well, base effects would help. Sure. It does help. But yes, these are even with low base effects. It's still spectacular numbers because we did see those ones that you mentioned already start rallying towards the end of last year. So it certainly wasn't just base effects. But, you know, um, Simon, I'm a bit of a, of a stats um, um, mm-hmm. nerd. So I had a look at uh, the number of exchange traded products that closed up for the year and the number that are down. And it's exactly 80% of all the exchange traded products actually closed in the green and only 20% of them, 35 in total, actually had negative returns. So that is quite spectacular. You know, the market increased by about 23% in terms of the market cap or the AUM in all these products. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that was price, you know, sort of an aggregate price increase of around about 17%, but about 6% new issues also. So brand new products, but also additional issuances by existing ETFs and, and other exchange-traded products as well. So, yes, you're right. A spectacular year indeed. And, 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 and some oddities then. I mean, that you know, 80% green is just, uh, particularly when it doesn't feel like a year that was very green if you were outside <laughs> yes. the Magnificent Seven. But we had Japan, we had Europe, we had India. Even the sort of more niche ETFs have really uh, come to the party and, and done what they yeah. say on the sticker. Yeah, indeed. But I think maybe part of the reason why for many people it doesn't feel like the market has been so up is if you sort of split these between global exposure and local exposure, our yeah. local ETFs certainly did not do particularly well. You know, the flagship Satrix 40 up 1%. Um, mm. You know, so that gives you some sort of idea compared to some of those, like the S&P 500, 35%. And yes, the RAND does play some role in that, but certainly the local market has not performed as strongly as the as the the, the global, especially the developed markets and the US in particular is fed. Um, but the Satrix Indy, you know, probably yeah. the best of the bigger local ones. Finney also did quite well. The The theme for me in the bad performers was very much mining and certain commodity related. So we see things like the Satrix Resi, the Divi Plus, the Sharia 40. These things are all ETFs that have a very high mining company exposure and they were were all solidly in the red for the year. And I noticed you politely skipped the rhodium ETF down over 60%. <laughs> but hey, you take single commodity, you take your chances. The one that's, that surprised Indeed. me, but then of course it doesn't, the Satrix Divi, which is uh, down a little yeah. on the year. But of course that's Thungela, yeah. that's Implats, and, and that's yeah. its construct. Yeah. It's forward dividend yield, that's how you get it, yeah. and then the price can fall. 
Yeah, and you know, when we look at the way that that index is constructed, it very much focuses on forecasted or forward dividend yields. So when the analysts are not that quick to update their forecasts, and certainly the likes of Tungela and even Kumba, Zara and so on, you know, the challenges around exports, the inability to get the raw material out through the ports, mm. that hurt our mining industry overall. And then you see it specifically in these sort of ETFs that have a disproportionate exposure to these mining companies and, and and that comes back to the, one of the key lessons with etfs is is know how they built you know i think a lot of yep, folks yep. think divi and they think high dividend it's a, it's a methodology knowing what's yes. inside and the, the process is important Absolutely. I often encourage people that that's really what you need to do when you want to do a due diligence on an ETF, because this is not about a fund manager or a portfolio manager or to large extent, even the issuer. You know, it's yes, the issuer does play a role to some extent, but it's mostly the index that you are buying into. So that's really where you want to spend most of your assessment, your analysis. Look at how that index is constructed. What is the, and I, the two main things that I focus on what is the selection criteria for the stocks in that mm. index? So what is the basis on which it's chosen? The likes of the top 40? Well, the 40 yeah. largest companies by market cap on the JC. Easy. Divi Plus? Well, the 30 out of the top 100 that has the highest forward dividend yield. A very different group of companies than the top 40. But the second aspect is then how are these stocks then weighted in that index? And again, the example of sort of your vanilla, the likes of a top 40 or whatever market cap weighted so the biggest companies have got the biggest weights. And of course, we see that in the S&P 500 with its magnificent seven and you mm-hmm. see it in the NASDAQ and so on. But then when you then look at something's a little bit more unusual, like the Divi Plus, the weight even of those companies are also determined by its dividend yield. So when it works well, it works really well in your favor. When it doesn't work so well as it did this past year, then you really do get hammered almost like a double whammy. Yeah, absolutely. I take your point that. You mentioned uh, Orm Assets Under Management up 23%. What is the size of the ETF market these days? We're looking at 165 billion rand as we stand now. And I can tell you that that, that is represented by 214 exchange-traded products. <laughs> uh, yes, we do now have more exchange-traded products than, than companies that you can feasibly invest in <laughs> on the JC. So um, we had, and, and I, I use the term you'll hear exchange-traded products yeah. because, yes, ETFs obviously a very important part of that. Almost 100 of that 214 ETFs. But then we also have ETNs, exchange-traded notes, which is typically, an a, call it a promissory note issued by a bank that says, we promise to pay you the performance of the reference asset. Yeah. You don't own the asset as the investor, and I love using gold as an example. If you buy a gold ETF, you actually have ownership of the gold in that ETF. When you buy a gold ETN, you get the performance of the gold price, but you don't actually own the gold. And so ETNs are great. They allow us to get access to investments that might not otherwise be easily accessible. Think of things like your agricultural commodities or energy commodities, you know, oil, coal, those sort of things. But then also things like, for example, currencies. We had a conversation this morning here at the office about the exorbitant fees that are paid for Forex exchange, probably one of the most expensive financial services products. You can buy an APSA new USD, which is effectively the RAND dollar exchange trade 
negotiated note. The price of that in rands is just the rand dollar exchange rate. So the rand weakens, the price goes up. The rand strengthens, the price goes down. And so it's a very clean and neat one. But then clearly the story of 2023 have been the rise of active in the ETP space. And for many people, this still feels like a bit of a a contradiction in terms. How can you have actively managed ETFs? I thought all ETFs were index tracking products. (laughs) But no, they are certainly a very strongly growing part of the global ETF industry. And we now in South Africa also have a number of these actively managed ETFs. So the underlying is also a CIS, so it's a unit trust, but it's actively managed. And then we've got a large number um, of AMCs, actively managed certificates. So they're very much like the ETNs that we spoke about, but your underlying reference portfolio is an actively managed portfolio overseen by a specialist portfolio manager that manages that assets on your behalf. And what we're seeing here is is some really great products. I mean, Keith McLaughlin's got a, mm. uh, an offshore small cap. Uh, Andy Pfaff has got that, mm. that, that uh, commodity one. They might not be in tax-free yes. account yet, but they really are giving an investor on the JSC great range and ease of purchase. Absolutely. And I really want to to, um, encourage investors to go and have a look at some of the underlying investments in this space, because we have products, for example, that invest in American companies, US equities, but they pick them on the basis of high dividends and high share buybacks. So here you are dealing with companies that return a lot to shareholders, both through dividends and through share buybacks. That's a particular active strategy, and Mm. you can buy that as an AMC. There are other products that allow you to invest in liquid private credit. So in the US, your your regional banking crisis resulted in a lot of companies not being able to go to their traditional bank to raise capital. And so there's these private credit companies that lend money to these corporates. And you can now have a whole basket of investments into these liquid private credit companies. So there's such an interesting range that's out there. And yeah, if people are a bit of a nerd like I am, maybe you want to spend some of your December holiday having <laughs> a closer look at some of these more unusual products. Yeah, there, there are some absolutely excellent ones coming in. The other big story in the in the ETP space was the acquisition of uh, core shares by 10X. Now, the products haven't disappeared. They've all just been rebranded yep. as, as 10X. Um, but but it, was a, it was a big deal. It makes perfect sense for, for, for uh, 10X, of course. Absolutely. And in fact, it was they were one of the most proficient new ETF issuers, five new ETFs that came from the 10X stable in this year alone. The other one that we also saw being quite, I call it the new kid on the block, because mm. Prescient is now also yes. an ETF issuer. And they've also issued five ETFs, one of them being an actively managed product. <laughs> so yes, the 10X transaction, I agree with you, it makes perfect sense in terms of the client base, the reach and what can be achieved with that. We see quite a bit of that in the um, in the interest bearing or the bond space, but they also have some really interesting equity products. Yeah. They have, for example, a mm. top 20 domestic equity ETF, and then they have the next 40. So it's a little bit like the mid cap, except that it's just shares number 21 to 60 that you get, and it's equally weighted. So, you know, there's so many different ways in which one can now slice and dice this uh, ETF universe, but also the JSE, 
and then obviously the incredible access that you get to global investments via these exchange traded products. You know, I always say this is like me buying my favorite Belgian chocolate at my local spa. It's still the same <laughs> Belgian chocolate that I get, but I've got the convenience and the ease of transaction of doing it in my local shop that I know, know very well. And I think that's certainly what global ETFs have brought to the table for ETF investors. Yeah. And of course, uh, Gareth Stobie, who uh, was core shares, has now moved across to ETFSA and working with yourself and Mark Brown. We'll leave it Indeed. there. Nirina Fisser, ETFSA, always appreciate the insights. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.